From the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Discerning Marriage Podcast, hosted by Elizabeth Busby. Welcome back to the Discerning Marriage Podcast, where we accompany you on the journey to discover if marriage is God's will for you. And if you already know marriage is God's will for you, we help you glorify God more fully in your vocation. We are so excited today to be joined once again by Christopher West uh, to dive deeply into a topic that I think is very relevant to people who are discerning marriage. Well, actually, I think it's relevant to all the humans, but I also think it's relevant to people who are discerning marriage. Um, and that is a discussion on longing and the relationship between beauty and longing. So we have invited Christopher back to chat about this with us. I'm so excited to have him. Hey, Christopher. Hello, Elizabeth. And hello to all your listeners. I'm so happy to be with you. We're so glad to have you, Christopher. So- and you know what's fun for me, Elizabeth? What? When when I met you, you were a teenager. It's <laughs> so true. And now I'm you're 31. now you're a grown woman with a <laughs> husband, and you're a mother, oh, and man. and you're doing this wonderful work. It's one of the great <laughs> fruits and joys of of my life and ministry. Now that I've been at it for so long, is I get to see, I get to see some of these fruits. Not that I'm taking credit for all that the Lord has done in your life, but there were some sure. seeds that I know you received through me that you have oh watered, yes. watered, watered, and they've grown. And it's beautiful for me to see you coming into a, a place of real fertility in, in sharing what the Lord has done in your life with others. It's really awesome. Oh, amen. Jesus is so generous. He's so, so generous. When we give our yes, he just runs with it. I love that yeah. about him. Um, So like I said, Theology of the Body is a big part of Christopher's work, but that is not explicitly what I've asked him to talk about today, although I'm sure it'll it'll come out um, just like with me that comes out. And I'm sure a lot of what Christopher talks about just kind of seeps out of us because we love it so much. But what we explicitly want to talk about today is actually beauty and the relationship between beauty and this really deep ache that we all have for God, this just universal ache. Um, And I, this is something I didn't really realize happened in my heart, this connection between beauty and this ache, frankly, until I learned it from you, Christopher, and it has opened up this huge, amazing cavern of discovery in both my husband and my life and in our marriage. So for these people who are listening, who are discerning whether marriage is God's path for them, I think this is a great thing to talk about because encountering beauty and allowing it to give you the courage to live from this ache that we have is something that's so helpful in in the life of a Christian, but especially when you're discerning something as big as marriage. So uh, that's what we're going to chat about today. So let's get started. Um, Christopher, can you just start by laying out the relationship between beauty and longing for us? This may be a new concept for... Sure. And I, I want to link it directly to the theology of the body. You, you and we're back already. <laughs> we're not going to be talking so much about theology of the body. Au contraire, mon frere. <laughs> it's all related because theology, Perfect. the study of God, John Paul II says another name for God is beauty. Mm. And so when we say theology of the body, what we're also saying at the very same time is the body reveals divine beauty. So there's nothing more beautiful in all of God's creation 
the human being, male and female, he created them, and they were naked and felt no shame when he made them. This is the pinnacle of created beauty. Mm. We are, male and female, the pinnacle of created beauty. There's, there's a reason we are attracted to the beauty of the human body. Of course, immediately, as soon as I say that, I know there are maybe fears that creep up in the human heart. The recognition that this attraction to the beauty of the body can take us in a wrong direction. And mm -hmm. that is absolutely true. Truth and beauty go together. We have to talk about that. Okay. When you, when you divorce truth and beauty, you will scorn the truth and you will porn the beauty. Mm. Let, let, me, let me describe what I mean. When, when the truth is not presented to us in its full splendor, that means as in its true beauty, when the truth is presented as something cold or doctrinaire or rigoristic and not in a way that appeals to the longing of the heart, for the true, the good, and the beautiful, all of which are related. Again, when the truth is just presented in a cold doctrinaire way, we will scorn the truth because the heart is made for beauty. Mm -hmm. But then when we go in pursuit of beauty in a way that is divorced from the truth, we end up, as I said, porning the beauty. And I say it because porn and scorn rhyme, it's kind of clever, but That's not only hard. because they rhyme, I say it because of this profound truth. Pornography is a hellish mockery of a heavenly reality. Mm. It, it steals the beauty, if you will. It grasps at that beauty and disconnects it from the true dignity of the person. And whenever we do that, what starts out as a pursuit of beauty leads us to something profoundly ugly. Mm. So beauty can seduce us in the wrong direction. It can take us in a, in a direction that leads to degradation. But when truth and beauty remain wed together, our pursuit of truth and beauty together launches us like a rocket into beauty itself, the infinite beauty of God. And here I would say small b beauty, the beauty of this world, the beauty of a sunset, the beauty of a flower, the beauty of the human being, the beauty of music, the beauty of a waterfall, the beauty of a bird song. I could go on and on and on. Whenever we encounter small b beauty, it's meant to launch us into capital B beauty, the beauty of God. Created beauty, therefore, is a reflection of divine beauty. And we all, to get back to your question. Sorry, all of that was just preface. I love it. <laughs> to get back to your question, we as human beings, we long for beauty. We are made for beauty. C.S. Lewis says it very well. He says, we don't only want to behold beauty, although that's wonderful enough in a sense. He says, no, no, it goes even deeper. We want to participate in the beauty. We want to take the beauty into ourselves. A student of mine once said, Christopher, I know this sounds weird, but I, I don't, I don't want to just see the sunset. I want to eat it. I want to take it into me. Mm. This, this is the longing. This is the ache. This is the cry of the heart. 
And, and I have felt this ache in my bones my whole life. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I discovered John Paul II's Theology of the Body in, in the early 1990s that I, dis, that I realized through him that this ache, this cry of my heart for beauty has a name. The church borrows this language from the Greeks here and calls that ache eros, mm. E-R-O-S. Now, immediately, of course, that conjures up in the English language the word erotic. Right. And for me at the time, in my early 20s, the erotic was synonymous with the pornographic. Mm. And so I needed to be re-educated by John Paul II that I was confusing eros with another Greek word, porneia. And we know where we, what we get in English from the word porneia, right? Yep. So ero, porneia is the distortion of eros. Porneia okay. is what you get when you disconnect beauty and truth, as I was saying earlier. But eros, in its true, integral, deepest sense, John Paul II says, is the longing of the human spirit for everything true, good, and beautiful. Mm. We're made for it. We ache for it. We pine for it. I love how you said a re-education. You've said, you said a lot of really gorgeous things, but one of the things that stuck out was this need, a recognition of a need for a re-education in, you know, what the fact that this longing could be a good thing. Yes. I love that. So my working metaphor, which you've heard me say many times, Elizabeth, in my talks is, is that we all have this hunger for, for beauty, Hmm. but many of us perceive Christianity as a kind of starvation diet. Like, like your, your desire's bad, your hunger's bad. It's only going to get you in trouble. You need to repress all that, but follow all these rules. Because the rules will keep you safe. Yes. Yeah. The rules will follow these rules. Mm -hmm. They'll they'll keep you safe because your, your desires are dangerous. Your desires are dangerous. Right. Now there's the truth there. When our desires get misdirected, they are dangerous because they take us in a path of degradation and destruction, as I was saying earlier. But the solution here is not to eradicate the longing for beauty and truth and goodness. Rather, the solution is to take that longing and learn how to, and that's re-education, the Mm re-education I was talking about, learn how to redirect that desire towards what is really true, good, and beautiful. But here, here again, we can be deceived into what we're looking for because for me as a teenager, having been raised on that starvation approach, mm. I became a quick convert to what I call, and you can fill it in for me. What do I call it, Elizabeth? The fast food gospel. The fast food gospel. <laughs> I is- love this analogy so much. It resonated so much with me as like an 18 year old that I I just have really incorporated it a lot into my own understanding. So I love that you're sharing it with all of my people. So what, so tell me, Elizabeth, what is the fast food gospel? What does that (laughs) proclaim? It's when you have to recognize that you're hungry and starving just looks so impossible. You're like, I'm not going to starve to death. So I'm going to take it to the first and easiest thing I find. And man, those chicken nuggets taste good going down. Yes, they do. I always say, don't lie to me. The chicken nuggets keep going down. But if that becomes your steady diet, you're not going to be feeling so good after a while. And that that brings me to my college years. After having eaten quite a lot of fast food, I was quite ill inside. You know, all this is a metaphor for my interior life. Um, The grease and the sodium, so to speak, 
had caught up with me and I was ill. And that's what compelled me to seek deeper answers to this hunger. And that's what led me to the theology of the body. And from mm. John Paul II, for the first time in my life, I came to learn Christianity is not a starvation diet. It's an invitation to a banquet. A banquet. <laughs> a banquet. And that banquet is a wedding banquet. It's a wedding feast sure that we're mm -hmm. all invited to. This, this idea of, of nuptials and, and marital union is the frame in which the biblical story unfolds. The Bible begins with the marriage of man and woman. It ends with the marriage of Christ and the church. And the whole purpose of small b beauty of man and woman and their love and their union is precisely to point us to capital B beauty, the beauty, the eternal lasting beauty of the marriage between God and humanity. We are made for a beauty that is not fleeting. We are made for a beauty that never fades. Now I'm, I'm looking right now, Elizabeth, as we're speaking, I'm looking out of my home office window at the red bud trees that are, are budding in our backyard. And it's one of my favorite times of year when our red bud trees are budding, but they're already past their peak and the buds are starting to fall off and turn a little bit gray. And I, I tell you, it's a sadness for me every mm. year. The, the budding of these trees brings such joy. And then when the buds start to turn a little gray and wilt and then fall off the tree, it's sad. Why is it sad? Because I am made for a beauty that doesn't fade. Mm. I am made how wrong for, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel when beauty fades, when flowers wilt, it, it's painful. I'm, I'm 50 years old now. I'm getting age spots on my face and wrinkles and gray hair. And so is my wife. And, and it's painful. Mm. Why is it painful? It's painful because I'm made for a beauty that's meant to last forever. And, and we're fading. My wife and I are, are fading. We're getting old and we're going to die. And the only thing, the only thing that gives me hope in the midst of that reality, and I get it, I get the midlife crisis. Believe me, I get the midlife crisis. The midlife crisis is the equivalent of the sadness I feel at the, at the fading redbud trees applied to my own life. Mm. It's like when you realize, oh my gosh, I'm wilting now. That's the midlife crisis. The only thing that can spare one from that midlife crisis is hope in in a beauty that does not fade, that really will be granted to me. That this is, this is the promise of Christianity. Just what C.S. Lewis was saying, that one day we will enter in, we will participate in the beauty, not just behold it, but we'll become that lasting beauty. Th this is the destiny of the, not just the human soul. We don't just believe in some spiritual eternity. We have the audacity audacity to proclaim that we will have glorified bodies, bodies that are beautiful for eternity, beauty beyond what we can dream, think, or imagine. Mm. This is what we're destined for. Our solution to wrinkles is not oil of Olay or plastic surgery. Our solution to the wrinkles is the promise of the resurrection. When the bride of Christ, which means all of us, all of human humanity, 
his bride in relation to God. Why did Christ die on the cross? He died to make her radiantly beautiful, Mm. without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish or any such thing, so that she might shine with all the glory and beauty of God. This is what we're made for. We are made to be beautiful. A saint is someone who has been seized by beauty and, and has been so seized by divine beauty that they are inwardly transformed into something beautiful. This is what we learn for, we yearn for. We yearn for, for beauty, to participate in beauty and to become ourselves beautiful. Mm. Mm. So once people have the courage to let themselves feel this longing, right? Whether it comes in the form of, you know, recognizing how wrong it feels when beauty starts fading or whether it's, you know, the, the stirring, the, the recognition for a re-education. Like once, once people start recognizing that they, it's okay to feel this longing, what do you do with it? Yes, we must, we must learn really and truly and please, I, I, I hesitate even to just to say this because it's going to sound pious. And I don't mean it in a hyper-pious way at all. I mean it in a raw, naked, and even brutal way. We must learn how to pray. Mm. Because prayer, the fathers of the church tell us, prayer is nothing other than becoming a longing for God. Uh. One of my favorite quotes in all of the church, everything. I love it so One of much. my favorites too, Elizabeth, because it mm. gets right down into the rawness of what it means to be human. Mm. That ache is not the problem. The whole, I, the whole notion or approach that says your desire is bad and you got to repress that. No, 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 no. I'm going to quote Pope Benedict XVI here. here. He says, the pilgrimage of Eros. I love that expression. Ooh, the pilgrimage of Eros. The pilgrimage yeah. of Eros. It, it indicates a journey. Mm-hmm. And pilgrimage also indicates a difficult journey, right? But a holy one. But a holy one, yeah. yes. The pilgrimage of Eros. What is a pilgrimage? You're going to some holy place, right? Right. A journey to a holy place. The pilgrimage of Eros is not about suffocating the longing that dwells in the heart of man. Rather, it's about liberating that longing so it can reach its true height. And the true height for which Eros is destined is union with the divine, eternal ecstasy and union with capital B, beauty. That's the pilgrimage of Eros. In other words, it's also the pilgrimage of prayer. This Mm. is where rightly directed Eros becomes prayer. It becomes a longing for God. And and here, we might want to ask ourselves, well, why are my longings misdirected in the first place? Yes. And this takes us back to what in theology, in Christian theology, we call original sin, and and this is a this is a, a mystery. I, I, it's it's hard to it's not something you can diagram on a blackboard. You you need images, you need poetry, you need metaphor to to get under the hood here and really try to understand what original sin and here is. And here's my my working metaphor. I like to say 
You know this one too, Elizabeth. You know my <laughs> work well enough. You know where I'm going with this. I like to say God gave us Eros to be like the fuel of a rocket rocket <laughs> that has the power to launch us to outer space to the, to the stars to, yep. to out into the heavens up into the heavens but here's the problem with original sin you see there's an enemy we really are involved in a battle here there's an enemy an invisible enemy who does not want us to reach the stars and he through uh, his cunning and deception, he convinced us that God didn't want us to reach the stars either. And that we couldn't trust God. Mm -hmm. And if we wanted fulfillment of that eros, of that hunger, we needed to take fulfillment into our own hands. And when we bought into that lie that God doesn't want to fulfill our desires, our rocket engines were no longer aimed at the stars. They became inverted and they were aimed back on ourselves. Hmm. This is why we go out into the world looking for love, looking for joy, looking for fulfillment. And so often it backfires on us because the rocket engines are pointed in the wrong direction. And this gives us a great image also for understanding what sin is. Here, I don't, I don't want to give some hyper-pious notion. I, I want to get down into the rawness of it and an understanding of what's going on in our hearts when we sin. When we sin, I'm going to quote St. Thomas Aquinas here, we're actually looking for something good, mm. but we miss the mark because our desires are misdirected. The solution here to those inverted rocket engines is not to think the rocket engines are evil. The solution is to learn how to redirect, redirect the rocket engines. Mm -hmm. And that's why Christ came into the world. This is why we need salvation. This is what we need salvation from. We need salvation from those misdirected desires. We need salvation from those inverted rocket engines. And here's the good news of Christianity. Christ came into the world not to condemn those with inverted rocket engines. He came into the world to redirect our rocket engines to the stars. This is good news. This is good news. Hmm. So for someone who's listening who maybe doesn't know where to start with prayer. I know we just said it's becoming a longing for God, but doesn't know where to start uh, with prayer, doesn't know where to start with pursuing true beauty, doesn't know where to start with letting themselves feel this longing. Yes. Maybe what's like a practical tip that they could take away to, they're hearing all of this, they're really wanting all of this, but maybe they don't know where to start. Yes. From yes. a practical perspective. Can you give us something that they can tangibly do to incorporate all of this stuff that, you know, it stirred me up. It's probably hopefully stirred their hearts too, but you know, something practical that they can take into their life. Yes, sure, Elizabeth. It's a great question. Let me first lay down a principle and then I'll, I'll give a practical application. Here's the principle. And, and it's, it's pretty frustrating at first hearing, but, but stay with me because it leads to true liberation. Here's the principle. Small B beauty 
is designed to awaken our desire for capital B beauty, mm. but it cannot fulfill it. Where we get in trouble is when we encounter small B beauty. Let me just pick any example. Um, I, I love to eat and a beautiful, <laughs> delicious meal is just that beautiful and delicious. And a meal can be a work of art, right? My, my wife's meals are, are beautiful works of art. They express her heart. And she puts out on the table this delicious meal. And that meal awakens in me a longing that it cannot satisfy. Hmm. And I know it cannot satisfy it because at the end of the meal, I'm sad. Why am I sad? I'm sad because it's over. And, and okay, I can go back for seconds, maybe, um, thirds, may, maybe, maybe thirds I can justify, just you know, a few more bites. But eventually I have to say, it would be gluttonous for me to demand more out of, out of this meal, mm. out of this food. And at that moment, I have to, what I call, I have to suffer the ache. The beauty of that meal has awakened in me a yearning that it cannot satisfy. Hmm. And so I have to suffer the ache and, and say right there, Lord, Lord, I'm not going to repress my desire. I'm not going to pretend I'm not sad. I'm not going to go back to small B beauty to try to satisfy it more because it can't do it and I'd be gluttonous. I'm going to stay in the ache and I'm going to allow hmm. this small B beauty right here, right now, to open me up to capital B beauty. And I'm going to allow the joy of this meal and what it has awakened in me and the sadness I now feel that it's over, I'm going to allow that sadness to become prayer. I'm going to allow that sadness to open up to the promise that there is an eternal feast, a wedding feast that awaits me. And, and this is prayer. We, so many things happen at so many levels here when we learn to live this way. Yes, we don't yes, come yes. to appreciate the things of this world less. We come to appreciate them more. We come to see a meal. We come to see uh, uh, the beauty of a flower. We come to see the beauty of a waterfall. We come to see the beauty of fill in the blank, whatever stirs your heart and attracts you all the beauty of this world, we come to see more and more as so many little signs and icons of lasting beauty. And we, we, we must learn to stay in the ache. That's prayer. So here's my suggestion. All, all that to come back around to a practical suggestion. What stirs the longing in your heart? You, you, this is not a luxury in life. You owe it to yourself to allow the encounters with beauty to do their work. Mm. What's your favorite music? You should listen to it often. What's, what are your favorite stories and movies that stir your heart, that awaken your longing? You, you owe it to yourself to expose yourself to good art. Where's your favorite place in God's creation that stirs your, your longing? You owe it to yourself to go to the beach if that's the place or to take a hike on your favorite mountain peak if that's the place that you need to go to. Where is your favorite? What are you, the beautiful things in creation? The knickknacks, like 
When you were a child, did you collect rocks? Did you collect uh, flowers? Did you, when I was a boy, I collected bird nests. I absolutely loved bird nests. They spoke to my heart. I loved creeks as a boy. I still love creeks. I still love bird nests. They still speak something to me. I don't know what, but it's something mysterious. I owe it to myself to have those encounters with beauty. Uh, and, and in those encounters, I need to give my heart permission to feel what it feels. But again, to recognize that small B beauty, its job is to awaken my desire for capital B beauty, but not to satisfy it. Mm. So I need to learn how to stay in the ache. And here's a, a, one of my favorite lines from the Psalms. I say it repeatedly. When I, whenever I am tempted to turn to small b beauty, to do for me what only capital beauty can do, capital B beauty, here's my prayer. Lord, I treasure your promises in my heart lest I sin against you. I treasure your promises in my heart, lest I sin against you. What does that mean? It means that that's the, that's the only thing that can enable me to stay in the ache without freaking out. Because the ache is painful. Mm -hmm. but, but in that ache, for beauty, for capital B beauty, for beauty that does not fade, right? Every beautiful thing we're attracted to in this life will fade. My wife is going to die, and I hate that. That like rips my freaking heart out that my wife is going to die. I do not like that at all. The only thing that gets me through facing that is, Lord, I treasure your promises in my heart. What is his promise? My wife will live again, and I will know her forever. And she and I together forever will be taken up into capital B beauty. And the small b beauty of our love here on planet Earth will be fulfilled eternally in the capital B beauty of the everlasting love. That's the promise. Lord, I treasure your promises in my heart, lest I sin against you. Again, what, what does it mean to sin against the Lord? It means to direct your desire elsewhere. It means to grasp at small b beauty as if it could fulfill you. Mm. It can never fulfill. What it can do is awaken your desire for ultimate fulfillment. And then we have to surrender ourselves to the gift. We have to trust in the gift. That's faith. We have to long for the gift. That's prayer. We have to trust in the gift. That's hope. Mm. And the more we have that faith that believes in the gift, the more we have that trust that hopes in the gift, guess what else we have? Love. Faith, hope, and love, they're all related because as we are filled with that promise, we want to share that promise with others. We want to be a witness to that love that lasts forever. This is, this is faith, hope, and love. This is what we're all called to. And I'll share this also because it's so, so insightful. This is one of my, my former professors and mentors who was a personal friend of John Paul II's. Uh, his name was, he, he died a few years ago, but his name was Monsignor Lorenzo Albacetti. He says, every temptation, every temptation comes down to one single temptation. 
It is the temptation to believe that the satisfaction of the deepest desires of my heart is totally up to me. Mm. Wow. That's where we sin when we believe that. Because then I'm, I'm going to try to take gratification and satisfaction into my own hands. And whenever we do that, we have stepped out of the posture of trusting in God's gift. Imagine, imagine if that ache we feel, imagine if that ache we feel, actually, if we were actually had the hope that that will be fulfilled, not because of something I do or accomplish or get or take or grasp, but because the God who made me actually wants to satisfy that desire. How different would our life be if we lived in trust of the gift? As my, my mentor, Monsignor Albacetti, put it, he says, when you realize this, when you have faith in God's promise, you no longer have to eat like a bird. And mm -hmm. have you ever seen seagulls at the beach fighting over a piece of food? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you don't have to do that when you believe in the gift because the gift is infinite, which means it never runs out. And it means you will be utterly satisfied beyond your wildest imaginings, which means you don't have to grasp at stuff and fight over it like birds. You don't have to eat like a bird. You can open and surrender and trust and stay in the ache. The ache becomes prayer. The prayer becomes longing for God. And the longing for God has hope that it will be fulfilled. I treasure your promises in my heart, O oh Lord, lest I sin against you. This is so great. This is so, this is so beautiful. It's so beautiful to hear that there is so much hope with this longing that there is like that our desire for beauty has a purpose that, I mean, I just, I love this so much. I'm gonna so, quote, I got to quote him again. Here's okay. my mentor, Monsignor Albacetti. He says, Christianity is either the pursuit of the satisfaction of the deepest desires of your heart, or it is a dangerous, divisive, harmful waste of time. Amen. Mm. This is our faith. It is the promise that you are not crazy to long for a beauty that doesn't fade. You are not crazy. You are made for a beauty that doesn't fade. Let small B beauty awaken your aching in capital B beauty. Because it's real. It's real. And this takes us full circle back to the theology of the body. You were saying earlier, well, we're not going to talk about theology of the body. This is all theology of the body. It's what all is theology, theology of the body? body? Theology of the body means recognizing the physical world, which culminates in the human body, is all just a sign, a glimmer of something far greater. The world is a window to another world. When we fail to see that, we get closed in on ourselves in this world, and then we're all just eating like birds, and it becomes a world of wars rather than a world of peace. A world of peace is a world that recognizes this world is a sign of another world and that infinity is granted us as a gift so you don't have to eat like a bird. Mm. I keep going back to um, the need for just such courage 
you know, like this is not the, the way that most of us are taught to live. You're right, so, Elizabeth. It does take courage. That's what the saints are. They are men and women. Mm -hmm. They are men and women who have had the courage to feel the ache and not crush it or suffocate it on the one hand. And on the other hand, not take satisfaction of the ache into their own hands. Mm -hmm. They've had the courage to feel that ache, to feel what you might call, and they do call, the wound of love. Mm -hmm. And in the depths of prayer, they have the courage to open up that wound of love to the one who alone can heal it. The courage to open that hunger to the one who alone can satisfy it. That's what a saint is. I remember one of the um, most powerful realizations I had about this was I was, it was mm, maybe six years ago. I must've been after TOB one that I went to. Um, and you said, saints are the ones who have the courage to feel the abyss of longing in their souls and in their bodies. Yes. And it, it, it just, it changed it changed my whole prayer life. It changed my own discernment of my vocation um, because I had such a, like I stopped at marriage. Like I stopped at the sign. I didn't, I didn't let myself keep going to realize marriage is pointing me on beyond that. And so um, just the, the taking the courage to feel that abyss of longing, like letting myself sit in how much I longed for a husband, how much I longed for children, how much I longed for this life. Uh, but letting that take me beyond just, you know, the husband and the, children in the life, but to God, um, and yes. letting me feel it, not just in my soul, but in my body. Yes. Anyway, just, yes. Mm. You know, Elizabeth, I'm going to, I'm going to tell a tale of my own failure here. Um, and just as a, you know, to, to prepare people for what you're in store for when you start getting in touch with your ache, it can be so painful. And, and I remember this was maybe, 10 years ago in my own life, I was at a stage of getting more in touch with my ache, my longing for, for capital B beauty. And it was so painful. I, I, I started making the mistake of taking that ache to the wrong places. Mm. And, and there was a, a state, I'll never forget it. It was a period of my life that lasted about two and a half months, and I was in a pretty dark cloud of deception. And thank God I had a good spiritual director who, I, I part of good spiritual direction is putting out into the light everything that's going on in your life, where you're, you're not hiding anything. That A good spiritual director, you, you need to find one to, to do that with. And I thank God I had a priest in my life He's still in my life there. I can share with him the deepest and the darkest. So I was unfolding for him some things that were going on in my life. And he said, Christopher, you, you, are, you are under some kind of darkness here. You're being deceived. Uh, the enemy shows up as an angel of light. Mm. And the deception had to do with, uh, if I can, if like the, he said to me in spiritual direction, he said, I want you to go back. And I want you to say, Lord, give me an instant replay. Show me where this deception entered into my heart. Mm. And he took me back to a, a, a memory that was like a few weeks earlier where I was in pain. 
and some some childhood wounds were coming up. I was on a retreat and and it was stirring up a bunch of pain. And the enemy always holds out to us. This is how we know it's the enemy. When the enemy says you can have the fulfillment you desire or the healing you desire without the cross, hmm. that's when you know it's a deception. And think about it. When when yeah. when Jesus told the disciples he was going to be crucified and, and die. Peter pulled him aside. The head of the apostles pulls him aside. No, no, that's not going to happen to you. And Jesus doesn't just say you're mistaken. He says, get behind me, Satan. Hmm. Right? The enemy always plays the same card. He says you can have the happiness you want. You can have the fulfillment you want. You can have the, the healing you want without the cross. He says you can have heaven without the path to heaven, which is to die with Jesus. And there was a, 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 a detour presented to me. Like I was feeling this pain from my childhood and, and a false fulfillment was presented to me. And I took the bait. And, and I, I started thinking that a pursuit of fulfillment in small b beauty, I started, I was under the, the, the wrong impression that what I was pursuing was what the Lord wanted me to pursue because the enemy showed up as a, as an angel of light mm. and an image that came to me after this like two month period was like, I, I had a dream and I'm driving in my car with my family in the back seat and all my, my ministry, my coworkers, uh, the whole work that I was doing was kind of in this van and I pulled into my driveway. I arrived home safely, but I realized, Oh my gosh, for the last several weeks, I've been driving drunk. Mm. And the Lord spared me in terms of not smashing into a tree and killing everybody. But it was a wake-up call to realize we can be deceived in what will bring fulfillment to the ache. Mm. And it was a call to a deeper purification. My point in telling this story is to say, if we go this way of, of journeying into prayer and learning how to redirect our rocket engines to the stars, learning how to let small B beauty lead us to capital B beauty, as all the saints tell us, and here I'll just quote from my, probably my favorite saint, uh, next to the Blessed Mother, would be John Paul II. And he says that the whole mystical tradition of the church teaches us that this path to the ecstasy of nuptial union with the Lord passes by way of painful purifications, painful purifications where we learn to let go of our idols. And what do we mean here by idols? We, you know, we, we hear idols and we think people bowing down to golden calves and that kind of thing. And we're like, oh, I don't have any idols in my life. Well, we all have idols yeah, in our we life. We all have them. Because we all worship whatever we think is going to satisfy the hunger. That's right. what we worship. Whatever we think will make us happy. Whatever we think is going to make us happy. That's yep. what we worship. When I turn to food to, to do what only God can do for me, when I turn to fill in the blank to do whatever God can do for me. To marriage. To, to marriage. the pursuit of a spouse. Yeah, and, it's not, and that's a good yep. point, Elizabeth. It's not just blatantly wrong things. No, right. no. It's good it's stuff. Good things. Yep. Good things. Here's how, here, listen to how the catechism defines mortal sin. 
We sin mortally when we choose a lesser good mm. wow. over God. So not even a bad thing. It's, it's not, not even a when bad you choose thing. bad things. <laughs> to sin mortally Ugh. is to choose a lesser good mm. and to expect that lesser good to do what only the greatest good, God, can do. To put it in the language we've been using here in this podcast, we sin mortally when we expect, expect small B beauty to do for us what only capital B beauty can do. Mm. And we can put it this way. In the end, God will give us whatever we really desire. Whatever we've been aiming our desire at. See, desire has a trajectory. It aims you towards a certain something. And if you are aiming at something less than God, that's what you shall have. And that's a very scary, even terrifying thought. Yeah. That, that I could end up with something less than, I don't want anything less than God. I want, I, the only thing that will satisfy me is something infinite, which makes us, which begs the question, what kind of creatures are we that only something infinite can satisfy us? That's a good question. What kind of creatures are we that only bread from heaven can really fulfill the hunger? What is that ache in us? St. Augustine said it the best. You've made us for yourself, O oh Lord, and our hearts are restless till we rest in you. So all the painful purifications we have to go through have to do with letting go of our idols. And, and, and it's painful because we, cl we cling to these things, but we need to learn how to let them go and we need to learn how to stay in the ache and we won't come to love these things less We'll come to love them more because we come to love them rightly. Mm. Mm. So beautiful. Oh, so Christopher, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this phenomenal discussion about what it means to get in touch with beauty and how you can allow that to just send you to the stars. Thank you so much for your time. I'm so grateful to get to share all of this, um, all of this beauty with, my listeners. So thank you so much. Elizabeth, you are so welcome. And I, I just want to say one last word of encouragement to all the listeners out there. Be not afraid mm. of your yearning for beauty. Mm. Only learn to open it upward. Open it upward. And your yearning for beauty will not be diminished your yearning for beauty will be increased. In fact, it will be infinitized. And that infinitization of your yearning for beauty is holiness. Be not afraid to be holy. Yes, 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 yes. My heart is so stirred. <laughs> I'm like, oh man. Jesus. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Christopher. You're welcome, Elizabeth. Bless All you. All right. Bye. 
I hope y'all enjoyed this chat with Christopher West. He is such a wealth of knowledge. And as you saw, I know his work pretty well, but I even found myself taking notes when I went back and uh, listened to it to edit it. So I hope you were able to learn something that was helpful for you. And again, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, stay close to the heart of Jesus and be not afraid. The Discerning Marriage Podcast is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute. For more information about discerning marriage, visit discerningmarriage.com. To learn more about the Theology of the Body, visit tobinstitute.org.